Welcome to A Rabbi and a Lawyer Walk Into a Bar, a podcast with relatively well-informed and irreverent musings on religion, news, and society. And now, for your hosts, Rabbi Asher Lopatin and John Geringer. Hey, John. Asher, this is this is tough. This is a tough week and a week and a bit, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I actually, I do want to say that I've, because of my job at JCRC, AJC, I'm on the media, local media, don't worry. Not invading the national. <laughs> I wish you were on the national media. We we could use you on that wall. Oh, I do get to vent and I get to express myself and I get to talk about free Gaza from Hamas, free Palestine from Hamas. You know, that's what I try to do, really push. And, you know, that I am a Palestinian Zionist. You know, I'm a Zionist who's pro-Palestinian. So I, I get to vent a lot and fetch a lot, as it were, on, on the radio and TV and even in print. Oh, it's a release. And unlike yeah. some of the other folks on Facebook, you're actually qualified. You almost have your PhD in medieval Muslim thought. So you might have actually an educated word to say on the subject. Yeah, had I really pursued this, I was studying Hamas's charter back in 1990. But, you know, I sort of moved moved into the rabbit a little bit. So, God. That was, that was when it overtly called for the killing of Jews, right? Before right. they tweaked it a little at the end of the teens. Exactly, exactly. It's such a terrible overlay of Simchas Torah and Shemini Atzeret, right? You got Saturday Shemini Atzeret. Really, when we heard it, it was such a difficult thing getting this news. I mean, we got it at 830 you got it even before, you know, we got it. I remember just coming to shul, maybe at nine, we, we started at 930. So coming to shul and right away hearing about this from one of our congregants who had heard it from someone. And then that just puts a pall. And, and I really, I had to, at every step of the points of davening before the psuke, because we sing a lot and we sing. So before psuke de zimra which is sort of these verses from mostly Psalms before that, that sort of introduce it. So I had to talk about that then, you know, and, and how are we going to sing and, 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 you know, how are we going to celebrate our holiday, but still remember those who have fallen and then, wow. And then going into Simplest Torah, you know, that, that holiday of uh, rejoicing in the Torah. Now it's interesting. I did it a little bit differently. Well, we basically kept up the joy, I think, but I, I, you know, for, for dancing with the Torah, but I, and a lot of some others, we did one, one of the seven rounds of dancing. We did a slow tune, but I don't, you, you said your rabbi was a little bit different. Right. We asked him what he thought about it. He said, we should go on as normal, as normal as we can under the circumstances which I thought was a bold statement to make. We we yeah. did make a few tweaks to it. We we removed the songs that we were gonna sing. And it's it's you know, for everyone who criticizes Jews in Israel, you know, we have peace so embedded in mm -hmm. our culture. Mm -hmm. You know, we sing songs about peace, we greet people with peace. I know, I know Arabs do as well, but I, I feel as if you know, we we just infuse peace throughout our yeah. liturgy. And you know, we so we there are a couple of songs that we we picked ahead of time that we took out 
And then we ended with Hatikva, which was, I have to say, normally when Hatikva, the, the anthem for the state of Israel, it is sung, it always makes me a little bit misty. This time we're all kind of hugging it out because, you know, the rabbi had family there. Almost everybody has either friends or family there who either know somebody who was, you know, captured, killed in the service. And so we we all just felt it more strongly than I've ever felt Hatikva before. Oh my gosh. Yeah, we even some of the kitschy songs were very important, like Oh Shalom Bim Ramav. You know, that's how we sort of ended up ended the a couple of Kadeshim. And you know, which is about hoping for peace, which you have to say it's the last line of the full Kaddish, but you know, and it's an oldie but a goodie. It's, it really goes way, way back, probably before I was born, probably 60 years, 70 years. Yeah, and earlier we had read Kohelet, right? Uh, Ecclesiastes, which is about the subject of there's times for war and time for peace. And, yeah. and you know, we knew that, unfortunately, this was not going to be a time for peace. Yeah, so I feel that one of the things that's really sad is that now every year in Israel, the Yortzite, the day, the anniversary of the death of all these 1,300 precious souls, is going to be a holiday. It's Simchas Torah in Israel. You know, in, in here, actually, in America, for most, except for Reform, but for most of the nominations, it was, Simchas Torah was the day after. But Simchas Torah, this day that's normally associated with joy of the Torah, is going to be also associated with all these horrible deaths. In Israel, already on Simchat Torah, you do say Yizker. You do say uh, Yizker. Right. I'm reminded from that line, I think it's also in Kohelet, that sometimes that which has been broken cannot be made straight. Yeah. And I, I think that we will never look at Simchat Torah the same way again. That doesn't mean we can't still be happy about it, but I think that we'll always remember just like you know, a certain generation remembers Yom Kippur in a certain way that, you know, those of us who are younger don't. Right. right. And that never changed for them either. Yeah, there is this idea, and that's in keeping with your rabbi and basically what we did. I mean, what I said really actually was that Kohelet talks about a time to cry, a time to laugh, or a time to mourn, a time to laugh, you know, and I said that maybe Kohelet does not mean that there are different times, that those are different times. Sometimes those times come together. Sometimes at the same time, you have to cry and you have to laugh. You have to celebrate and you have to remember the sadness. So I guess that's what our our Simchas Torahs and our holidays, these holidays will be tinged with, with that sadness. But I did try... This Friday, or was it happened to be the 13th, and maybe we can do it the day after Simchas Torah outside of Israel, and maybe the day after, whatever, the day after, maybe should be, every year should be Israel Solidarity Day, should be a day where we celebrate Israel, because I'm just, you know, we had on, I don't know, well, I guess all over America, there were these ridiculous chatter on social media about, you know, Day of Rage, the 13th Friday, and then everyone was uh, like security, and some people didn't send their kids to school, they were so afraid, and that got me so angry. What chutzpah, you know, what chutzpah that they have to, to, you kill 13, 
hundred innocent babies and children and grandmothers and and then you have a day of rage. You have a day of rage, Hamas. What chutzpah! That was before Israel even was able to defend itself when it was still on its heels. Yeah, yeah. And you know, I I wonder. I wanted to ask you this because I know you studied medieval Islamic thought. You know, I I unfortunately spent a lot of time doom scrolling, like many other people have been doing over the last week, and watching the videos that can't be unwatched. And the, the oh, worst God. one I saw in addition to all the carnage was when I saw a bunch of young kids picking on this one Israeli kid who they had taken hostage. And I think the reason it was so horrific for me is knowing that's the next generation that's coming up has that perspective. And you, you always want to hope there's hope for the new generation. But when you see young kids picking on basically a hostage, their own age, it really makes you wonder. But what I wanted to ask you is, you know, part of the horrific videos I saw when these atrocities were committed, they would emphatically say, Alu Akbar, you know, God is great. And is that a perversion of their faith? Is that embedded in their faith? It just, it struck me that, you know, unlike, unlike political wings of the Palestinian community who presumably can be reconciled with Israel. Right. You wonder if someone who, who believes that way because they believe Allah told them to. And look, we have folks on our side who are extremists right. as well, uh, but let's focus on them this week. You know, it, is it something inherent in that either Wahhabist aspect of their faith? Or is there hope yet that that can be brought back from the brink? No, I think, you know, I really think that this is not typical of of Islam, at least in the medieval period and the modern period. I think, you know, Islamic fundamentalism is in many ways very and change and innovation, really. Something that the medievalists, especially the traditionists, like the Hanbalites and the Wahhabis later in their tradition would totally reject. And this this idea of, well, first of all, you know, they're so influenced by Iran and the Shiism. So this is a Sunni movement, Hamas, influenced by Shiism. But, you know, yeah, I think that this is a, I look, I'm not a Muslim. And I would hope that Muslims say, and there have been some that have spoken up, that this is a perversion of Islam. But, you know, Islam never, medieval Islam was very much more controlled really and not people running wild and and this is Hamas is kind of like a movement of really running wild and not uh, following you know other governments it's sort of very independent you know very you know it broke away from the the PA in fact you know way back it seems that Israel that Hamas was somewhat of a creation of Israel to be you know it was let me get this right on this podcast. But there was a feeling that this would be a counterbalance to Arafat. I was going to say the exact phrase you did, a counterbalance to the PA. There kind of was a feeling also that it was a more religious movement. Rabbi Froman, a blessed memory, a real tzaddik, he, he used to work with Hamas. And he. it's such a strange thing. But I think we're realizing that these, so these are radicals. These are not 
traditionist Muslims, like the guys in Saudi Arabia, those are more traditions. Now, of course, they, you know, Osama bin Laden was like influenced <laughs> by that also. It's very hard. I, you know, John, in the end of the day, I think religion is a template. I think the Bible is a template, the Quran's a template, the New Testament. I think the idea is, you know, you can read into it what you want. You can have Christians that love Jews, and then you can have the crazy Christians that hate Jews. You can have Muslims that really, you know, want to create a world of peace and and Sufis, and and then you have jihadists. So I I think it's hard to say what is Islam, but I don't think this is in keeping with traditional Islam. What have you heard in your role as the Jewish Community Relations Council from, you know, allies, so to speak, in other faiths? Well, the Hindus are great. Love Hindus. They're amazing. They they really get this. Uh, they understand terrorism and they're really, they're very powerful. They're, they're condemnation. In the African-American community, they've been very powerful in standing up for Israel. Our allies have. And the Council of Baptist Pastors. I was just in church this morning speaking with the head of our federation in Detroit about standing up for Israel and and against and condemning Hamas. So they've been, our allies have been great. I can't, you know, they, uh, we'll get into like Black Lives Matter, Chicago, horrific stuff from Black Lives Matter and Black Lives Matter grassroots and whatever. They, that's terrible. But our allies have been very strong in the Black community. And in some, actually in the Episcopal community, the bishop reached out to me, some other evangelicals. The weak link has been, I must say, and I'll say it openly on this podcast, to the world that the Arab American community and the Muslim community have been intimidated into not speaking up. Because we do have some allies that say this is terrible, but they are afraid that people will burn down their house. And we did have one... Arab American Syrian leader speak out, and we, we I, I sat down, did a recording with him condemning Hamas, and he's been pilloried in the Arab media, and they 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 picked it up from our Facebook. You know, we always say, oh, you know, people's Facebooks, there's an echo chamber, you know, but it's not. It gets picked up sometimes. So he was pilloried, and so that's been a big, big disappointment that. You know, they can't they can't just condemn they I'm saying they because honestly, they're very, very there's this one guy. He's the only one that's willing to do it publicly. And, and it'd be one thing you could understand how they want to circle the wagons and maybe right. remain neutral in light of all the videos, the horrific violence that has come out over the last few days. But Davka, they are actually supportive. And that's that's the part I'm trying to wrap my arms around. You know, they and their allies on the let's call it the the justice Democrats or whatever they call themselves, the far left, who are are, are doing some of these things. And it just that that whole intersectionality thing is creating some interesting bedfellows. You know, where you have gay and lesbians, the community, some of whom are supportive, not not realizing how they would be treated in Gaza City, you know, and, and others. And it's just, it strikes me as just something wrong in certain segments of society that can view that 
and feel as if they can openly go out and support it. When I see videos of what is, you know, what Israeli needs to do to resolve this issue, I still feel for the, you know, the innocent Palestinians. Right, you know, I, think right. I, I mentioned the story, you know, my dad in the 70s was awarded for Israel bonds. And at that at that meeting, uh, he he gave a speech. And at that speech, he actually talked about the humanity of the Palestinians, which is a bold move, you know, in, in the 70s at an Israel bonds dinner. Right. And yet, because right. he was a Holocaust survivor himself, I, I think he saw the humanity in everybody and realizes the path you, you can go down if you go the wrong way. I think I've got some of that in me. And I, I also, you know, when I see innocent Palestinian suffering, that bothers me. And I, I can't imagine if the situation were flipped of even remaining neutral if, you know, there was some equivalent to what was going on, but it was, God forbid, our team perpetrating it. Yeah, I think that there are, I would really categorize people and put people in different buckets. Right. Uh, you know, one of them is, you know, ideally just condemn Hamas. And by the way, I think Ilhan Omar did. I think AOC, I think did, you know, just, you know, you got to condemn this action of Hamas is unacceptable no matter what. It's not, I don't care about years of oppression. I don't care about this. I don't care about, you know, unacceptable. Right. And, Period, full stop. Yeah. And that's what we've seen. And there have been some, you know, that again, Ilhan Omar. And then there are those that just can't do that, that either say, well, I feel for all the losses of Palestinian and Israeli lives, that's sort of Rashida, or moral equivalence. Yes, what Hamas did was wrong and what Israel does is wrong. You know, that moral equivalence. For this past week, it was so gruesome. When babies are killed in front of their parents, that's not enough. It's not enough to say, oh, it's terrible what's going on in the Middle East. And I feel bad for everyone. That's not enough. Sadly, in the Palestinian, pro-Palestinian community, most of the protests have just been, you know, from the river to the sea, Palestine, all that stuff, and ignoring Hamas. It's bad, and it's very painful. But there, you're right, there have been some, like Black Lives Matter Chicago, or I've heard on campus there have been some and that just to be been... clear what they did. What they did is have a picture of the paragliders. Yeah. You know, it, it's it's almost the same as if someone took a, a picture of the Isons group and you know the Nazi yeah. killing squads. It it is the exact right. same thing. Although yeah. I have to say, having studied and taught about the Isons group in trial, you know, they at least tried yeah. to mask their horrors and cover them up where it appears as if Hamas does it with glee and is yeah. open about videoing it. Yeah, in some ways, worse than the Nazis. You know, who, could you imagine saying that ever? But in some ways, I don't recall hearing stories of Nazis of slicing babies' heads off in front of their parents. I mean, they killed them and they killed everyone. And it was, of course, disgustingly cruel. But I just, I mean... So some of their allies did some like the Romanians. Uh, th there were stories about how they were even crazier than the Nazis. So there was from many of the stories that come out of the Holocaust. And this is uh, obviously there are individualized cases when you're talking about six million. But, you know, for the most part, the stories that come out uh, are that the Germans did it with brutal efficiency. Uh, and there were some who who took glee in what they did, of course. 
but but for many of which it was a machine of death to accomplish a mission and you know that that is one kind of horrific thing but this you know they were smiling they were happy they were taking videos not care not not only not caring how history would view them but wanting history to view them in this way yeah and that's that's pure anti-semitism pure hatred of jews and i think that's what you see when you see on again in some circles smaller circles that where they glorify the paragliders and they're glorifying hamas that's really disgusting and i think jake tapper i know called it out you know and i think the american media john i think cnn has been outstanding and really feeling the pain and so many stories of painful stories of how you know people all missing you know missing soul people not missing soldiers people kidnapped people killed and and also the heroic stories of different guards that were heroically defending their families or their villages and the kibbutzim and i think the media definitely you know Thank God, Fox News on Israel, we can depend, very pro-Israel, thank God. Ruben Murdoch, even though he's not CEO anymore, I think he lays down the line. Like, But CNN, I think, somehow, they the word came from on high that they're you know going to really feel what Israel's feeling, and, and they've been amazing. And, you know, so that's been, I'm not saying it's a silver lining, but it's been very powerful. And part of it, I just read something the other day that, even the the quote unquote younger networks, you know, most of the people who watch them are, you know, average age is somewhere between like the early 60s and the early <laughs> 70s. So, you know, you're not going to get the people who are, you know, might be more sympathetic to the view of Hamas who are, are between their 60s and their 70s. Right, right, right. So that's, but we'll see how that holds. So John, I wanted to ask you, I want to, we don't do that much politics here, but, but do you, I have a sense and I'll, I'm happy to talk about it, but do you have a sense of where do you see this ending up? Like if Israel has to go in or whatever they do, you know, where, what's the end game? Yeah. And I'm, I'm, you know, it's funny. I'm watching the last week. Half of me is very clinical about it. You know, someone who teaches national security law in the spring and we, we bring up topics like this and Holocaust and law in the summer. Obviously, we're going to be bringing up topics like this. So I've got a clinical side and I got my emotional side, right, as a survivor's kid and as a Jew and as a human. Uh, but when I look at it from the clinical side, right, uh, that, you know, we talked about this before, you know, international law allows for this. In other words, the response that Israel has done and is about to do, you're allowed under Article 51 of the UN Charter for self-defense, so long as you engage in necessity and proportionality. And certainly we have necessity here. And proportionality does not mean one death for one death. It means proportional to the military advantage you want to obtain. And that military advantage does not need to be simply driving them across the border. It could be to eliminate the threat. And so in doing so, right, they are allowed to, you know, hit a military advantage while keeping civilian losses to a minimum, which ironically, you know, by telling or asking, you know, civilians to leave elements of Gaza with some significant military 
uh, targets are. That's actually part and parcel of what they should be doing under international law to mitigate civilian uh, deaths and the like. And I think politically, BB has to go in, even if, you know, as I recall, last time he pretended he was going going to yeah, go I'm in. That. I'm worried about that. Yeah. And we actually had friends, kids who were involved in that operation when, in effect, he wanted them to poke their heads out and then he bombed them. I don't think they can get away with that, you know, in this element of the conflict. And unfortunately, as everyone knows, you know, urban warfare is one of the trickiest kinds of warfare, especially when there's, you know, last I checked that there were still 200 captives, Israelis, Americans and others who are captive there. So that magnifies the risk on all sides. But I, I think that there is no way that BB can just shell things. Um, unfortunately, we need boots on the ground. And I can only hope that whatever techniques and technology has been advanced on the Iron Dome, and you may have seen the the Iron Laser, you know, that was just implemented, which which Iron Beam, I think they call it. Yeah, this uh, is Marjorie Taylor Greene's Jewish laser come to life, right? <laughs> right, right. Uh, you know, we showed some examples of Iron Beam where they can take out, you know, as opposed to one of our $50,000 missiles, it's cost right. a couple of dollars to take out uh, it's not as effective, it's not as long range, but I guess my point is, I only hope that the ground techniques that they've developed are as advanced as that. I suspect they're not because ground warfare is always difficult, as I'm sure our former guest, uh, General Klingon, would, would discuss, that it's hard. And, you know, when you think about a place like Fallujah, for example, that where the Americans had to go in twice, you know, ground warfare is difficult, and it's, it's also difficult to in, ensure that you do it in a moral way, consistent with international law. You know, Halakha has rules on that. We'll get into it in a second. But I think at the end of the day, unfortunately, they're going to have to go in. Now, there's a little inkling of optimism I have, and it's probably unwarranted. But hear me out. What if the Saudi Arabia track continues? Mm -hmm. And as opposed to a lot of people are saying, you know, the Saudi Arabia peace deal is off. What if some way, shape or form the Saudis can be a helpful interlocker here, either locator, e either in connection with peacekeepers on the ground there, or money, or some kind of confederation. You know, I, I've heard discussions of cantons. You know, where the Palestinians don't have a state, but they have some degree of autonomy and authority. You know, I I think if you and I and a few people, you know, who, who boots on the ground on this would think through it, we could find a way to create more autonomy and authority for the uh, sort of the innocent Palestinian people while displacing Hamas, Islamic Jihad, and, and the rest as, as leadership in those roles. Now, the problem is, I don't have to tell you or anyone this, that, you know, who will trust the Palestinians to rule themselves after what we just saw? Because this wasn't just an incursion by them. This was barbarism, and I don't know how you recover from that. So that was a long answer to a short question. No, I I hear you, and I think I think that the Canton idea is very resonant with my own personal one state idea, and I've talked about that. I'm sure we've talked about on this podcast about really one Jewish and Palestinian state. I want to make sure that in that state. Both Judaism is celebrated with the holidays and the language and kosher and 
And also Islam is celebrated with, we, there should be national holidays also already in Israel. The, the way Israel is right now with 2 million Muslims, both Eids should be holidays. And But in any case, that might be very ambitious to talk about the West Bank. So we're not dealing with the West Bank. We're dealing with 2.3, maybe 2 million Arabs and Palestinians. I think Israel should needs to go in, needs to not occupy it, needs to annex it, make it part of Israel and make it this and absorb eventually in the next 50 years, these 2 million Arab Palestinians will become Israeli Palestinians, just like the other 2 million that are already in Israel. So you'll have by 50 years, you'll have eight or 9 million Jews and you'll have four, four and a half million, maybe five, you know, Muslims. So um, I think we just lost all our listeners. <laughs> no way. This is what you got to do. It were it's what's worked. Two state solution failure. Gaza total experiment. Pull out. Let the most let the Palestinians rule their own state. Failure. We know that fails. What has worked when Israel absorbed two million Arabs, less than that, but the Arabs from Umm al-Fakham, the Arabs in the Galil. The Arabs in the Golan, the Arabs in the Negev. It's not easy. And we remember two years ago, there were some issues. But overall, that's been a big success. The Palestinians, Arabs in Israel that are Israeli citizens and in Jerusalem, even though most of them have not taken citizenship, they've been very well integrated. If you go to any cafe in Israel, certainly in the old city and and Mamila, Wherever you go in the the canyon, you'll see tons of Arabic spoken. So we've done, it's been very successful. I think that's what just has to happen because you're right. There is no one that really is able to take over from Hamas to, and I'm not the PA. They, I'm not a big fan of theirs either. Everyone thinks they're corrupt and they are. So that's for me, that's the only solution. And, uh, you know, it was a mistake ultimately to pull out. I think we had no human intelligence, whereas in the West Bank, uh, at least after Operation Defensive Shield, we moved in and we have intelligence. We have tons of, you know, FAUDA, human intelligence and all that. But in Gaza, nothing. They were able to keep this whole thing a total secret. And worse, the 30,000 workers that we let into Israel, apparently they were involved in plotting this, which is horrific. No, it's, I think it's got to be annexed, absorbed, part of Israel. The biggest gift you could give to Palestinians is allowing them to be part of the Jewish state. And again, it'll be Jewish. What about, what about annexed and absorbed into Egypt and Jordan? Convincing they, them. They don't not, want it. They don't want, they don't want them. I know. But... Well, Jordan, I'm not a big fan. Let's go for it on this podcast. I'm not a big fan of Jordan. I know America props it up. It's not such a successful state. It's a majority Palestinian. It's it's very precarious. I'm not a big fan of theirs. And Egypt, they don't want them. They do not want Gaza. They never wanted it. But I, I am, you know, we're going to speak just a, for a minute about the halachot. I'm excited that Israel is working on a uh, safety zone, humanitarian zone in South Gaza, which is not uh, as jam-packed as North Gaza. And apparently uh, from 
the ambassador, Ambassador Herzog, they are working with the UN to really create a humanitarian zone where if people actually, even I've heard 700,000 have left North Gaza. I'm not sure if that's accurate, but I did hear that. You know, if there's 1.1 million that they are encouraging, Israel's encouraging to go to the South, they go there, they'll be fed and that that will be work out. I mean, that's a temporary solution, but annexation, absorption, it'll be great. <laughs> I will respectfully disagree. Getting back to, because the halacha says when besieging a city, so to speak, uh, you're not to encircle it entirely. You're supposed to leave room for there to leave. So presumably, so there's not mass absolute destruction, right? Yeah, I mean, I think that that is if it is that's all things. What's that? For the civilians, a, a civilian court. But that's all things being equal. Yeah. I think that if you feel that the only way of you know the only way of destroying the enemy is and if it, having that opening would you know is Israel supposed to have an opening so that all the civilians of Gaza can flee to south you know to Israel right no it's a good look these are thorny moral issues yeah. i bet you they don't teach you this in rabbi school do they <laughs> no. we did a little bit about milchemet mitzvah what is a you know whether you can fight on shabbat and you know, what is a, a mitzvah, a commanded war versus a voluntary war? And but I think you're right. I mean, John, that, that's the general idea is that we don't want to starve and kill everyone there. So you're right. It, it has to be done. There are I think there are what we get from that is there are definitely rules of war and if in the Jewish tradition and it's not all out murder. Yeah. Yeah. But because at, at the end of the day, there the war is to serve a political aim, yeah. right? So, some of the folks on our side who are saying things, and some of them are just knucklehead teenagers who are right. saying, turn into a parking lot and all, all this craziness. Uh, and I'm saying out loud that this is crazy. I don't care yes. what other people think. It's crazy. I agree. I agree. Saying that. What happens the day after? You yeah. know, what happens then? You know, the Marikahan approach where everyone is ethnically cleansed, that's not going to work. And so the question is, how do you live some, with somebody who, you know, depending on who you ask, right, 50%, 60%, it's unclear what percentage of Gazans truly support Hamas or support them, you know, one man, one vote, one time, you know, with the gun to their head. And yeah, I mean, it might be that if Israel really does squeeze them, you know, they will rise up against Hamas. But I don't, you know, I think it's really very, and, and I, I think that I'm glad that the media is at least seeing that Israel is encouraging them to flee and Hamas is putting up roadblocks and, you know, mining areas so people and stealing people's car keys so they can't get out. So I think that at least the media is reporting on that. But yeah, I agree. That's why, you know, Ashley Patton has a solution that is a wonderful solution. I know that, you know, I think, again, I, I think you have to, when Israel goes in, they have to change the textbooks. They have to determine what's taught in classes. They have to determine, like many Muslim countries, like in Turkey and elsewhere, what kind of, what kind of sermon is given on Friday in the mosque. You know, they have yeah. to, in the Turkey. The government... The yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I wouldn't put up with it, the government telling me what kind of sermon to give. <laughs> but but I've heard some of those sermons. <laughs> yeah. So, but, you know, they could do that and, and really has to change. So, and I think you can, I think people change quickly. You know, South Africa, again, it's not a perfect model, but, it, you know, after Nelson Mandela, it was an amazing change. People didn't wholesale kill each other. There was you know, truth and reconciliation. And it's still, it's not a paradise, South Africa, but it is a place where people did not run out and murder each other. And, and it, it shifted over, you know, in, in a, into a calm place. So I don't know, John, we'll have to see what happens. Yeah. And then the next battle will be on U.S. campuses. Right. In, in a world where microaggressions are instilled upon us that we need to avoid. And yet macroaggressions have been flying left and right this last week. Yeah, I'm though I have two daughters in at University of Michigan. And actually, I, I do want to thank President Ono. He came out. It took a couple of days, but he came up with a very supportive statement again against Hamas and against any violence. And I think I don't know. You know, we'll do another podcast where we'll study college campuses. Maybe we should interview some folks that are on college campuses and see, like your, like your son, like Jake. You know, yeah, and he gave you. a fantastic speech about, and and he he talked about it in very nuanced terms. To his credit, I think he's got some of his opa's spirit you know in terms of how he thinks about these things and this is his major so he he's actually spent some time thinking about it. and as you know he was just there this summer and your son is there right now yeah yeah he's in israel he's i talked about this on shabbat i i cried friday night for a sermon and i cried not as badly shabbos morning i mean friday night i was bawling i barely could get through it but shabbat morning i talked about how judah is his yeshiva is working on tzitzit, on tying these garments with fringes on it that are worn religiously as commanded in the Bible. And they're 500, they're producing like 500 of them. They're making sure they're kosher. And it's not for religious soldiers. It's for non-religious soldiers that really want to feel that protection. So, you know, so he's been doing that and he's been working hard on that. Good for him. Good yeah. for him. Um, What's it like him being there? Well, he's from a dad from a dad's perspective. Uh, Forget yeah, the rabbi yeah. stuff. Well, I think Rachel is someone you really want to talk to more because she's I'm like, it's great he's there. I'm so proud of him. You know, I'm not I'm not afraid. I you know, I I he's also in the gush, so he's in a pretty good area and he's with his a lot of his friends. What's really painful for him is his close friends have gone off to war, really. They're they're you know, they're 18 years old or 19 years old. Right. And they've been out. Uh, they've been drafted. So, so that's kind of tough. But he's doing okay. I think everyone sounds to me that a lot of people in Israel, students at gap year, are finding a sense of purpose because they're not just sitting in the. It's not business as usual in these yeshivas, in the seminaries, and the. It, it's what can we do for our country? I just spoke to someone else. Yeah, in another yeshiva. That really, they're really deciding there's things you can do. And that that's so meaningful because, you know, 
we're talking about college students age you know they're like usually have a good time you know yeah right. well know. that's what jake jake and his friends were this summer i mean it was the best of times right and then this and but it reminds me do you remember the old show from the early 80s called masada right oh, with peter O'Toole yeah. and peter, peter strauss. strauss i remember that it's such a great movie one one line struck me always where <laughs> strauss said to peter o'toole right he was elazar ben yair the the leader of the jews to to general silva said something like you know how to beat the jews leave us alone we'll be at each other's throats soon enough but if you come after us we're all coming as one <laughs> it's true that's it yeah and that, that struck me when you think about talk about turning on a dime right you know to see i mean obviously it was a result of you know what what they called in world war ii a, a judenjagd basically a jew hunt that, right 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 uh, yeah right um but turned on a dime and and the entire israeli society and the entire worldwide jewry that have so many slivers and divisions and factions that we've been talking about over the last year those are gone those yeah, absolutely yeah, wiped yeah, away. Very much. very much. And look, I'm. it meant so much to see the Eiffel Tower lit up with the Jewish star, Israel Star of David, and the Arch of Titus. You know, this is the Arch. You know, so there's a lot of a lot of meaning. So which which is even more so, right? Titus, which which has images on it, right, of of vestiges of the second temple being taken away. Yeah after the destruction of Jerusalem. And here there's a Jewish star and Jewish lights put on it. I have uh, the Brandenburg Gate had a Jewish star. That would be even, or the White Star. Did. Oh, yeah. I, yeah. I, I think it did. And that, now, uh, you know, I, I wasn't a big fan of what I saw in London. Yeah, London, though it was, they stopped some rallies in London, or was that France? I think it was might have been Paris. Yeah, I, I think in France they they drew some lines, and I think in Germany they drew some lines. You know, they, they don't have that the same little First Amendment thing that we have here. <laughs> right, uh, right, so right. They were able to draw some tougher lines than maybe we could, but you know, I think I mentioned last year I was face to face with the French police, and, and they're pretty intimidating. Yeah, believe it or not, believe it or yeah, not. But yeah, I mean, to see you know. All, all the money that's coming in from Agenda Veda Dome, you know, for for supplies yeah. and and for just folks who are involved with specific army troops asking for someone. I talked to one friend of ours that said, you know, they, that they were delivering so much food that they'd be eating one meal and they say, no, stop, stop. There's even better chicken coming now. Yeah. And they say, no, stop, stop. There's even better meals coming down the road that I mean. Thank God that this is the reaction. And, and to see, I don't know if you saw that El Al flight where there were so many young students who wanted to come home to serve that yeah. they overflowed and sat on the floor on a flight just to be able to get home. Yeah, it's it's great. Well, we'll see. I, I stay tuned. I have a trip planned in two weeks, so we'll see if that happens. And it'll definitely be a solidarity trip if it happens uh so what uh, what was it gonna be it was gonna be a shared a shared society trip it was not gonna be a visit to gaza but it was gonna be a visit <laughs> to uh a lot of the druze and arab communities in the uh galil but but we'll see what happens i would love for to do a solidarity trip but i don't want to burden israel with you know taking care of ashley Patton. so we'll see <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, we have video and pictures from last year when my daughter 
Katie was on that guy's wall, and it gives me the absolute chills oh seeing it now, knowing, you know, unfortunately how unprotected that area was. Yeah. Well, John, this has really been a, it's a comfort talking to you and, you know, hearing a little bit of sanity. <laughs> yeah, my feelings mutual. I, I think we need more of you to be talking and using your mouthpiece and getting out there because, I mean, you speak with an authenticity that I think few people can and a knowledge that few people can on, on both sides of the, of the religious, uh, you know, dividing line and, and, and steeped in the knowledge of the area as well. So keep talking. Uh, you can count on that. <laughs> Great. Well, I'm Yisrael Chai. Yisrael Chai. And really, uh, yeah, let's all be strong. Let's all be strong. And don't worry, our, our Facebooks, our Instagrams, they're not necessarily echo chambers. They're they they have a place. So hope we get the word out. Fly the Israeli flag in your window. Fly the Israeli flag. Keep creating those allies. One of one of the things that has been most heartening are the non-Jewish friends who are check. I'm sure you feel the same way. Who are checking in on us. So yeah, so much. It's I was at, I was at a vigil tonight in a very non-Jewish neighborhood in Madison Heights and. It was not well attended. The mayor of Madison Heights was there. She happens to be Jewish, but it was not well attended, but it was organized by a wonderful woman, non-Jewish woman, Catholic, who just loves uh, Israel. And it wasn't a huge rally by any, there was barely a minion. There was 10, but it was, a, it was beautiful because you saw this. It's, that's what, that's what we Jews need. And, and everyone needs allies that are not necessarily from your own family, but from others. And it was very powerful. Yeah. And there's so many ways to help. And I encourage everybody to find tangible things to do, not just being yeah. an armchair warrior, right. but actually getting in there and packing uh, boxes that are needed and donating money and supporting the IDF and supporting the state of Israel any way you can. Fantastic. Okay. You said it. I'm Yisrael Chai. All right. Talk soon. Take care. Thank you for listening to this episode of A Rabbi and a Lawyer Walk Into a Bar. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to get our next episode delivered right to you. If you really like us, please consider leaving a review and sharing this with a friend. That would really help our efforts. And finally, to contact us and for more show-related information, please visit our website, rabbilawyerbar.com. Special thanks to our production team, David Stone for the introduction music, Andrew Bauman for the artwork, and I'm Nicholas Tantillo. This podcast is co-produced with Front and Social Studios in Chicago. Disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this program are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of any entities they represent. Copyrighted material, all rights reserved.